tonight, if you would turn back to Mark 16, we're going to move back into Mark. The title of the message is Confirming the Word with Signs Following. We'll begin reading in verse 15 of Mark 16. Verse 15 of Mark 16. And it says, And he said unto them, Go you into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. We have the Great Commission. It's here in Mark 16. That's what we just read. The more popular, the more well-known Great Commission verses in Matthew 28. And he also has it in Luke 24 in a different way. And we said last time, God has made us his ambassadors. We're ambassadors with a message. And the message that he's given us, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, is a message of reconciliation. Men that we meet, and we were the same way because of their sins, are enemies with God. There's a war going there. We're hostile towards God. Paul says this. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. He said, it says, God is pleading through us, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, says this to the world, be ye reconciled to God. He's saying what we're saying is his ambassadors. We're only telling sinners what God would say if he was standing right in front of them, holding out in front of his nail-scarred hands, that I want to be reconciled to you. That's what he would be saying. I want to restore fellowship. Like we said last time, I think these are key verses to know when you're talking to sinners. It really helps me out quite a bit in prison or even when we've been on the streets. But he says it twice in Ezekiel 18 and in Ezekiel 33. This is the same message as be reconciled. It's the same Old and New Testament. In Ezekiel 18, he says, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And in 33, it says, Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? I mean, you can just hear the pleading in the words. And it's right there in Ezekiel 18 and 33. The message of reconciliation we have is this. We just heard it. If sinners will repent and turn to the Lord, there is full and abundance forgiveness from God that will be granted. They've got to repent, though. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Luke 24, he told them, you need to go out and preach repentance unto forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Because... There's not going to be people in hell. They never repented. And guess what they don't have in hell? They don't have forgiveness. So we have to teach that there's going to be repentance unto forgiveness. That's the message of reconciliation. What we're basically coming is we're coming on behalf of our president, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's like when the president, they all do it. They grant these full pardons. They never raise the question, were the crimes committed? They don't even get into that. It's just a matter of does the president have the power to grant, in a sense, forgiveness to just wipe the slate clean? 
And that's the question with God. The question is not, have we committed these crimes? Has anyone committed the crimes? You know, the question is, does God have the power and the right to just wipe our slate clean? And the basis that he does is what? Because for him to be just, he has to punish sin. And we know it's so simple. But our sins were punished. They really were punished. Justice was done on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a great consequence to this message of reconciliation we have. Look at verse 16. It says, he that believes this message that we have, this message of reconciliation, the gospel, he that believes and is baptized, you have to be brought into union with Christ, outwardly make that confession. What will happen? That person, it says, shall be saved. But the one that refuses to believe, and this is serious, this is eternal, shall be damned. I mean, there's no getting out of that place. If you ever just stop and think about hell, to me, the worst thing is the fact that the people there, whoever goes there, will know they never will get out. That's got to be the worst thing. Never going to get out. This pain, this cut off from God, this darkness, this falling, it will never end. That is just almost unbearable to think about. And that should be a motivator for us, shouldn't it? It really is. But if it wasn't that bad, it has to be that bad. Don't try to listen to people that try to make hell less than what the Bible teaches. Because if it wasn't that bad, God would not have sent his son. If purgatory was true and men only had to suffer as bad as it might be for a few million years and then they would get out, God wouldn't have had to send his son. But the fact it's eternal is why he sent his eternal son to pay that price. They were commissioned to preach what? What does it say there? It says in verse 15, go back, it says, and go ye into all the world and preach what? The gospel. And what is the gospel? We know what gospel means. What does gospel mean? Everybody knows that. It means good news. But the good news about what? You ever thought about that? The gospel is the good news. The good news about what? And I'm going to show us through the Bible He's having them preach the gospel is the good news about the kingdom of God. That's the message. You know, we're taught to pray the kingdom of God is the thing we're taught to pray for. Thy kingdom come. And when that prayer is answered, what is it going to look like? It's going to look like, if you want to read, not right now, you don't have to turn to it. It's going to look like Revelations 21 and particularly Revelation 22. That's where the picture is painted. We don't have all the details filled in, but that's the picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. It's going to be a kingdom of Christ reigning on his throne. Holiness and righteousness, peace and joy will be what prevails. Holiness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. It'll be health. It says in Revelation 22, there will be no more curse and there will be trees by that river that bear fruit, and it says their leaves are for the health of the nations. So we're still going to be dependent on God all through eternity for health. We're not going to get sick, but we're going to still, He's made us to be dependent on Him. And above all else, the kingdom of God is going to be fellowship with God. It says in Revelation 22, 4, and they shall see His face. No longer is our fellowship like it is now where we have to take it by faith that he's speaking to us, his presence is with us. I mean, that's all for real. But then we'll see him face to face, face to face fellowship. I mean, it'll be a blessing beyond what we can say, won't it? All aspects of it. We have no idea, Paul says. 
And that's what the gospel is. It's the good news about the kingdom of God. And you say, well, I thought the good news or the gospel was that people didn't have to go to hell or that you could say a prayer and Jesus would come into your hearts. I thought that was the gospel or that, you know, my sins are all going to be forgiven. Okay, so all of that is true, but that is only part of what the gospel is. It's not the full gospel and it's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Okay? If you want to turn, we're at the end of Mark, go way back to chapter 1. I just want to, we talked about it, but it's been 61 messages ago. So if you turn back to Mark 1, I just want us to, if you all would bear with me and pay attention, it's coming to something, okay? I got a point to this, all right? Look in Mark chapter 1, look in verse 14, we'll see what the gospel Jesus preached was. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of what? What does it say? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That is the key to our message tonight. The kingdom of God is at hand. And because of that, he says, repent ye and believe the gospel. He preached that the kingdom of God was at hand. So he wasn't preaching a future kingdom, was he? Not a future kingdom. He wasn't preaching this gospel wasn't this kingdom that is so far down the road it has no meaning to me, an average person. You know, I may die and never see it, all right? He's saying that the kingdom of God is here now. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the people would be, what should I do? And his answer is what? Repent. Isn't that what it says there? That's what it says. He says, then you should repent and believe the gospel. You can enter the kingdom now. That's the message. It started right there with Jesus, and it continues right up to our present day. And the entry requirement is what? What's the entry requirement? Repentance and belief. Turning from your sins and turning towards God. It's a simple message. And Jesus' message, it was the same message as John the Baptist. John's out in the wilderness eating his locust and wild honey, dressed in camel hair. And here's the message he had. He said to the people, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It just keeps right on going. Once again, when should the people repent? Now is what he's telling them. There's no time for delay. Why? Because he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Not 2,000 years away. But it's at hand. And you're saying like, man, I'm confused by what you're saying, brother. Because the Bible says to pray for the kingdom of God to come, but it also says it's here. It's at hand. Which is it? Yes. It's both. It is. It was inaugurated right here. When John the Baptist was put in prison and Jesus began to pray, that's when it began. And it's not going to be fully consummated, fully manifested until the end. But it began back here. So we're praying for this full manifestation, thy kingdom come, but it's already here. That's what we need to see. Why was John the Baptist saying the kingdom of God is at hand? The kingdom is contained in the person of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says one day his kingdom through his spirit will cover the whole earth, the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth. His glory, his power, his presence will be everywhere, won't it? That's why he will be the light everywhere, him and the Father. He's the king and the kingdom is embodied in him. 
So when he first began, Jesus first began his spirit-filled ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled. In other words, listen up, people. The kingdom that you all been waiting for, he's telling the Jews, they've been waiting for this kingdom. He says, you don't have to wait any longer because time's up. Time's up. The time is fulfilled. I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Like I said, it was given birth when Jesus was anointed king. And when was he anointed king? At the River Jordan. That's when he was anointed king. The Holy Spirit came down on him and the Father spoke from heaven. He was anointed the king and his ministry began in the kingdom of God. So remember, we talked about this Sunday, Luke 4. He's anointed king and the first thing he does is he has to go out and be tested in the wilderness. Spirit drove him out there, passed the test, 40 days of fasting, all the temptations that came passed every test that Adam failed. And then we read in Luke 4 that he came back in the power of the Spirit. Reads from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal, to preach deliverance, recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. It's taken from Isaiah 61. And if you go and read Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 is talking about the reign of the Messiah in his Kingdom, And that was the significance of Jesus reading that verse. He's telling them, I am the Messiah and this kingdom is starting. It said after he read that text of Isaiah 61, it says this, that the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he's reading with such power and anointing. I mean, I don't know what that would have been like, but it had to be something. But when he read those verses, the power and anointing of God was on him. And I'm telling you, in that congregation at that time, in that synagogue, there wasn't a baby stirring. It says all their eyes, they are locked on him. What do we have here? They're amazed at his words that are coming forth. And he looked back at them when he had their full attention. And he said this, he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they knew what that meant. The kingdom of God had come. Come that day. Today, he said, not tomorrow, not next week, not when Columbus discovers America. He's saying, today, this is fulfilled. And it was. As one man wrote, the kingdom of God now had a name and a face. The name and face of the man from Nazareth. That's what you had. And that was the message that was preached. The gospel that Jesus preached was that. Later on in Luke chapter 4, after he performed all kinds of miracles of healing and casting out of demons, and all that did was that showed the kingdom had arrived. And he told the people of Capernaum, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. So that's what he was preaching. To other cities also, because therefore am I sent. And a few chapters later in Luke 8, Luke writes this, And it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings, the good news, the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. That was his message, the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. What was his message to Nicodemus? He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see what? The kingdom of God. To the rich young ruler, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? 
And the thief on the cross said what? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in that kingdom. So the kingdom of God was the gospel that Jesus preached. And it's the gospel that he sent his disciples to preach. We just need to see this. I don't know how much we think that that's the gospel they preach, the kingdom of God. And we'll see. That was the early church, and it should be continuing on. So if you would, please put something there in Mark and turn to Luke 9. I want to look at two places side by side in Luke to show you that that's what he sent his disciples to preach, the same message. Look in Luke 9, beginning in verse 1. Luke 9, 1 says, Then he, Jesus, called his twelve disciples together, He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach what? The kingdom of God. There it is. And to heal the sick. And when they went preaching the kingdom of God, what were they doing? Look what it says down in verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns preaching what? The gospel. What I'm wanting us to see is the gospel and the kingdom of God are one and the same. We're in chapter 9. Just go over to chapter 10, verse 1. And here he's going to send out the 70. And the 70, if you want to put it this way, they weren't apostles, disciples. They were just people like us. Lay people, for lack of a better term. And look what it says in Luke 10, 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. And what did he have them preach? Look down in verse 8. And then into whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things are set before you. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, what? The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. The same message. But into whatever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And that's where the whole thing about he that believeth and is baptized shall be. And he that believeth not, that's the message they're not believing. He says, you don't want to receive that message of the kingdom of God? He says, you need to know I'm wiping dust off. The blood's on your head, but the kingdom of God has come and been preached. And that's why he's saying you need to read all, anybody in here that's not in the kingdom, needs to repent when? Now. Now's when it's here, and now is when it's being offered. We could go on more and more and more about the message through the Gospels, but that's what we need to see. The kingdom of God, it included repentance, forgiveness, and healing, and casting out of demons. Didn't we just read all of that? That's what it's all about. And it continued on, I want us to see, in the book of Acts, from the beginning to the end of Acts. Now, we're not going to look at every place in Acts, okay? But just hang with me here for a minute. That was the message. So if you would turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, I'm saying it was beginning to end. That was the emphasis. He appears unto them. Verse 3, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. And what did he do those 40 days? What does it say there at the end? And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's filling them full of, here's the message you're going to need to be preaching because I'm getting ready to be taken away from you all. You're going to be preaching about the kingdom of God. So he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. So they could go and talk to others. 
And that was the message they would preach. When Philip, we're not going to look at that this week, we will next week, but when he went to Samaria, Philip is just an ordinary person. I mean, he's the deacon. He's not even considered a minister, an elder. And he goes to Samaria, and that's what he did is he preached the kingdom of God with signs following. And we'll see, that's what this is all about. That was Paul's message too. If you would turn back to Acts 19, we're going to look at three places close together in Acts and wrap up this point about that the kingdom of God and the gospel are one and the same. In Acts 19 and verse 8, it says this. Paul is there in Asia Minor. It says he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for three months. And now what did he do for three months? What did he talk about? It says disputing and persuading the things concerning, there it is, the kingdom of God. And then if you would turn to Acts 20 and look in verses 24 and 25, it says this. It says, but none of these things move me. He's talking now to the Ephesian elders. This is his goodbye speech. He knows he's going to die. He says, but none of these things move me that I'm going to suffer in Jerusalem. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify, and he says, the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of of God. That was the gospel of grace. He says, shall see my face no more. And if you would go to the very end, we said beginning to end in Acts, and if you would turn to the last chapter, Acts chapter 28, and twice in Acts 28, look in verse 23. Paul's being imprisoned in Rome. He's got a certain amount of freedom, and it says when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified, what? The kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning until evening. And then look at the last two verses in Acts 28. Last two verses in Acts, and it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, doing what? Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no man forbidding him. So you say, okay, brother John, what is the point? And here's the point. There are two kingdoms in the world and they are in conflict, deadly, eternal conflict. And both kingdoms are out preaching, come unto me. That's what they're saying. And both kingdoms have power. They do. Real power. Paul told King Agrippa, the Lord Jesus has sent me on a mission. He said to do spiritual warfare with my message among the Gentiles. And he sent me as a witness. He said this, delivering, this is what God, Jesus, told he would do for Paul. Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I sent thee to do what? Here's what Paul was to do, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Both kingdoms, I'm saying, they're in conflict. And Paul's mission is to open these people's eyes that are bound in the kingdom of darkness and this power they are under and turn them to the power of God. But there's a real power and a real conflict going on between these two kingdoms. 
That's what they have in common. They got a message, and they both have power, and they have one other thing in common. That's my second point tonight. In both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, both of them have this in common. They have a message that is confirmed by signs. So go back to Mark. That's what we're reading here. He says, you go and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says in verse 17, Mark 16, 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. Now listen, what do signs do? Signs point to something, don't they? They point to the validity or truth of something. That's what a sign will do. Dictionary definition, an object or event, a sign is an object or event whose presence or occurrence indicates the probable presence or occurrence of something else. So when you see a sign, it's showing you that there is something else that is probably occurred or is there. It really is there. So in other words, when you're driving down the road and you see a sign that has an arrow that's pointing east and letters on it that say Lexington 60 miles, what is that sign telling you? It's telling you that 60 miles away is Lexington due east, isn't it? That's what it's telling you. And if you trust the sign, you'll drive that way and expect to find it. It should be pointing to truth, right? I mean, the Germans, you know, they would turn those signs pointing different directions at the Allies. Did they not do that during the war to try to get them heading all the wrong direction? Get them all mixed up? Or another way, you could look at a sign this way. You're driving your car. You're under 21, and your car loses its power and comes to a stop. And you look at your gas gauge, and the gas gauge, that sign is below E. And that's a good sign that you're out of gas because it's pointing to truth. And it's also a sign that you need to get a job. <laughs> that's what you got there. Jesus says signs will follow them that believe, will follow, will accompany those that believe, like a friend that's always at your side. It's like Catherine's dog, Brucie. He's always with her. He's in the car. He's everywhere. He's a faithful friend. And it says these signs will be like that. They'll accompany you. They'll follow you like your dog. You're a good dog, right? And they'll be there, always there. You got deliverance, tongues, healings. He talks about protection. Always there for believers. These signs shall follow them that believe. You got to believe the signs for them to follow you. But And why is that? Why are those signs accompanying, following Pointing to something. Because that's the point. That's the point. Look in verse 20. It says, They went forth, obeying him, and preached that gospel everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word. How? With signs. The signs are pointing to the truth of the gospel that they're preaching. Confirm means to put something beyond doubt. It's the way it is. So these signs are pointing to the truth of the gospel. That the kingdom of God has come. And one of the major truths that the kingdom has come is that it has a road, it talks about in Isaiah, that leads to it. And it's called the highway of holiness, isn't it? The auto mind. You turn back to Isaiah 35. It's talking about this kingdom. Isaiah is filled with prophecies pointing to the kingdom of God. The Jews all would have known this. We're not as familiar as they would have been. It's what they were looking forward to. You know, we used to sing this song beginning in verse 4. Isaiah 35, verse 4, and it says this. Isaiah says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. 
even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. And look, here's the signs. Then, this is the signs of the kingdom. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. The tongue of the dumb will sing. For in the wilderness there shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And look what it says in verse 8. And a highway will be there going into this kingdom he just described. And a way, and it shall be called what? The way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there. But he says, but the redeemed shall walk there on that highway. And we sing this song, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will go where it will flee away. That spirit of depression will be gone. Hallelujah. So what are the signs of Mark's gospel point to? That the kingdom of God is here. And his kingdom offers what we just read. Healing, deliverance, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's the tongues. These signs shall follow them to believe. Tongues, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness and holiness. The highway of holiness is there. You're not going to get in there any other way than on that highway of holiness. And that is all essential to the gospel because that's all what the kingdom of God is. It's what we're preaching. I'm saying especially the message of holiness. Especially the message of holiness because we need to wake up and understand that the full gospel must be preached, which is freedom from sin. It says the gospel is preached with signs following. And the key word there is with, not just signs and miracles. Because that's what the Antichrist will do and the false teachers and Antichrist are doing now. I don't hardly ever watch any of this stuff, but there's stuff on the internet or whatever. All these guys, these current charismatics with these revivals and signs that they are saying that are done, the most of what I've heard, like that revival down in Brownsville, I, I listen to a ton of tapes and I listen to them I'm like, there is no message preached at all. And supposedly God's spirit is poured out and signs are happening. And what are these signs that are supposed to point to truth? What were they pointing to when no truth was preached? And we've got these miracle ministries out there now. That's what all they are all about. When that message of holiness is missing, that should immediately throw up red flags. Because what's it confirming? What are these signs confirming that's being preached? If that's not being preached, it's not confirming the message of repentance, is it? It can't. It's never said. Very little word is preached. What is our Lord coming back for? A church that is characterized chiefly by miracles? Think about it. Is that what he is coming back for? Now listen, this is what we're going to be talking about. I think miracles should be a major part of a New Testament church. Listen to what I'm saying. It's not one or the other, but they're there to confirm the word and to meet needs, both.
He's just as concerned to meet needs, but he's also concerned to confirm the words. And I think there has to be both. But if miracles become the driving factor for what you're looking for, you're getting ready to get set up. You're thinking miracles are what points to a ministry being authentic. You're getting ready to get set up. Because here's what Jesus is coming back for. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, if that's what he's coming back for, and that should be what the word, these signs should be confirming, and it's never talked about, there's a major problem, isn't there? In my opinion, I think there's a major problem with that. Jesus wants his bride to be spotless and holy. Peter wrote, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We're talking about both kingdoms have signs pointing to their message, and they both have a message. Both kingdoms do. They're both saying it's true. The kingdom of God says, I got signs. He says, I have signs of healing, deliverance. That's what we just read in Mark 16. Tongues, they point to the truth that repentance from sin brings true freedom and fellowship with God. That's what those signs point to. They point to the song we sing, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and you walk in all the ways that I've commanded you that it may be well with you. The signs of the kingdom point to that truth. Okay? The kingdom of Satan has signs too. But they're called lying signs. And they point to something saying that it's true, but it's not. Because what they point to and their message is that you can enjoy the pleasures of sin and still experience God's power and blessing. And that is the lie that the Antichrist will deceive the world with. You're all looking at me? We'll see that that's exactly what will happen. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We need to see this because we're heading into this. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's happening right now. The strong delusion has begun and it will only get stronger. I'm telling you, it's begun. 2 Thessalonians 2 beginning in verse 8. And Paul writes, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. And how? With all what? Power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. He's going to deceive people into thinking you can be unrighteous and make it in. In them that what? Perish. Because they receive not the love of what? The truth that they might be saved. And he says, and for that cause, because they didn't do that, didn't receive the love of the truth, God himself shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. I said, the message is you can have pleasure and see the power of God. That's what it says, doesn't it? But they had pleasure in what? 
Not righteousness. That wasn't the message that was being preached, was it? No, you can have pleasure in unrighteousness and experience the power. They're deceived by that. We need to listen to that. I think that's critical. That's the lie. But the signs from God, they're going to point to a truth that righteousness that lead to righteousness, holy living. And Paul says, that is the truth. And we've heard that here. 30 years from Brother Hamilton. That's the message that we've heard. You got to live a holy life. I stopped at verse 12, but let's go on and read. Look what Paul says. He says, but, he adds a but on there. And I'm not thinking this is going to be you guys in Thessalonica. He says, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you. <laughs> we're not counting you in on that, beloved brethren of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you. He began a work in you to salvation through what? Sanctification, holiness of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because of that, brethren, don't get deceived. Don't get sidetracked. Stand fast. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. And that's the word to us. I'm telling you, the pressure is coming to let go of what we've been taught. And has been confirmed by the Lord and in his word. I'm telling you, that's the message right there. Because the Antichrist is going to have signs and wonders. He is going to have real power. The power is not the lie. Because it's for real. It's not a lie that he's got power. Oh, that's not real power. No, it'll be real power. But the lie is what it points to. They're called lying wonders because they don't confirm the truth of the word, but confirm lies. Miracles that lead you away from holiness and truth. And if you would turn to another verse back in Deuteronomy, I think it would do us good to look at this. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, beginning in verse 1. And this principle still applies, except that we're not stoning people anymore. <laughs> Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 13:1, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives thee what? A sign or a wonder. Whoa, boy, somebody did that today. Man, we'd be following them. And the sign or wonder, it comes to pass. It really did. Wherefore, he spake unto thee, saying, but then let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known Let's serve them. He says, you shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is proving you to know whether you love him, the truth, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. He says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, he should be put to death because he's spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust you out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So thou shalt put evil away from the midst of thee. And he doesn't stop there. We usually do. But look what he goes on to say. If your brother the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or your wife of thy bosom or your best friend, which is as thine own soul. If they entice you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto you and far off from you. 
from the one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth? He says, you shall not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither should your eye pity him. Neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. He's talking about your son, your best friend, your wife, your spouse. Nor hearken unto him, neither shall your eye pity him, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him. Kill him, thy hand shall be first upon him. You should be the first one, he's saying, to put him to death. And afterwards the hands of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he has sought to thrust you away from the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more wickedness as this is among you. I'm telling you, somebody comes to me and they're trying to talk me out of what I believe. I'm like, you know what? I'll be nice to you and I'll talk to you, but our fellowship's off. Isn't that what it's saying there? I mean, you stone somebody, your fellowship's basically over with, I think. He's talking about your best friend. It's that serious, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's very serious. Because when you start putting your friendships and your relatives and everything else above truth, isn't that what it says? Am I, I'm not reading anything into that. You're in trouble, aren't you? You're, I shouldn't pity him at all. That's what it says. We go back to Mark 16. We'll let that sink in for a second. And we're going to finish up here with the first sign. The first major sign, it points to the arrival of the kingdom of God, and it says in Mark 16, 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. First thing he says is, in my name they shall do what? They shall cast out devils. And when Jesus in the power of the Spirit walked in this earth and cast out spirits, it was a sign that the kingdom of God was both here and now at hand and will be manifested in the future. That was a major sign. He said it himself. And let's look at where he said that himself. So turn to Luke 11, verse 20. This is where I'm going to try to tie this all in. We're talking about the kingdom of God is the message. That's what's being confirmed. It's here. That was Jesus' message. It needs to be our message. And so Luke 11.20 says what? Well, verse 19, he says, If I by Beelzebub am casting out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But he says, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, and he was, he says, No doubt then, no doubt, what does he say? The kingdom of God is what? It's come upon you. He's saying that's a sign that the kingdom of God is here. That's why we went labored through all of what we labored through before. He gives the same thing over in Matthew 12, 28. You don't have to turn there. But he said, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, which is how he did it, then he says, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So my point is this. We're talking about this is a sign. It's the sign given in Mark 16. Jesus himself specifically pointed to the casting out of devils as a sure sign that the kingdom of God has come and has invaded our world. When did that happen? Now, then, and it still has happened. The kingdom of God is invaded. That's what we're believing for when we say God will do this for us. We don't have to be like the denominations that make everything after the resurrection. He's saying, no, I'm casting out these spirits with the spirit of God on me. And that's telling you all that the kingdom of God, you don't have to wait for it. 
It's come now. This is the sign that it's come now. And he's telling us in Mark 16, these signs are not just with him. They'll follow them that believe. They shall cast out devils in his name. Amen. Well, I like to talk about two cases of demon possession that we have in the Gospels and how they confirm what he said and what I've been trying to say tonight. The Satan's kingdom. We're saying there's two kingdoms. It's oppressive. And it's unclean. Listen, Mark chapter 5. We know about Mark 5, the Gadarene demoniac. When he was possessed by the legion, he was unclean. It says this in Mark 5. When Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And then in Mark, it goes on to describe how this unclean spirit manifested itself. It said he dwelled with the dead, and the dead were unclean. You touch a dead person, you weren't going into the temple. And he's dwelling among the tombs. It also says he was naked, night and day, crying and cutting himself. It said he had supernatural strength. No chains could hold him. And this unclean spirit of Satan's kingdom is displaying itself in this man's life. Displaying himself. He is a grotesque spectacle when you put all that together. He's naked. He's been cutting. He's got scars. You, you picture a man. This hairy guy probably, whatever, maybe not. It doesn't matter. He's got scars all over his body, bloody. His hair is probably just looks crazy. Blood all over, hair looks wild, and he's living in a dark graveyard. And you know what I've just described? One of the most popular shows on TV. I've glanced through that channel enough to know it's called The Walking Dead. And I mean, it is hugely popular. Now, I go in prison, they love that show. I'm like, you guys need to get rid of that show. That's what it is. This generation that we are in, of all generation, has no idea what these unclean spirits are doing to them. Because what I see and what I observe, the uncleanness, the looks, the lack of clothes, the vulgarity, all of that, it's these unclean spirits. And we need to pray, I am serious about this, that God opens eyes. Because they can't see it. What is so obvious to us, to me anyways. They literally cannot see it. And this unclean spirit in this man is destroying his life. It's a suicide spirit that's in him. As evidence, when those, that legion went out of him into those pigs, the first thing they do is they go down that bank as fast as they can and drown themselves because that's the nature of those spirits. That's what that spirit in him was trying to do, kill him. But in contrast to that, God's kingdom. I just described a mess. Unclean mess. In contrast to that, God's kingdom is what? Pure and clean and whole. When Jesus cast the legion out of that man, we find all traces of uncleanness gone. He's described as sitting. Sitting. Calmly sitting. People were afraid to walk by that way because he'd come rushing out at it whatever he'd do. But no, when the uncleanness is gone out, when Satan's kingdom is out of him and God's kingdom has invaded him, it says he's calmly sitting. And he's also no longer naked, but he's clothed. 
Because nakedness is always associated with shame in the Bible. No more. He's clothed. And now it says that he is in his right mind. He could think clearly. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking from experience. I know what this guy's going through. I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced it myself. When those devils are in you, your mind races. It's hard to have clear thoughts. You have distorted thoughts. But he's saying once the kingdom of God is invaded and the spirit of God has cast out the kingdom of darkness, that unclean spirit, this man now can sit there clothed and in his right mind. He's sane. He can think rationally. He couldn't for before. He's free. And that's the gospel message. Have you guys never met people that are like that? I've met them. I met him in prison. I met him out of prison. I met him that have come to this church like that to one degree or another. Bound up with an unclean spirit. They're abnormal in everything they do. And that's the gospel. That's the message that we have to preach that the kingdom of God is here. It's come. You no longer have to live bound by those unclean spirits. The spirit of God will drive the spirit of Satan from you and you can be whole and pure and clean. That's the gospel we have to preach. That really is. The second one is, a few chapters later, that was Mark 5, a few chapters later in Mark 9, the story of the epileptic boy, that spirit from the kingdom of Satan that was in that boy was described as unclean and mute, or a dumb spirit. And the idea behind something being unclean in the Bible, it's not what we would think. We think of unclean as somebody that's dirty, that needs a bath, that stinks. But the idea of unclean in the Bible is more the idea of it's things are perverted, distorted, twisted. Not what God intended in creation. When God made creation, he looked at everything and he says, behold, it is what? It's good. And when the devil moved in because of our sin, everything through that became twisted and distorted. And that's where this uncleanness comes in. These unclean spirits, they seek to twist and distort men made in God's image. Whether they do it in their spirit, where you have people that are just angry, or I prayed for somebody last night at prison, lust is consuming them and they want to be free from it, or a bitter person or a covetous person, that's someone in their spirit to twist in the way God meant us to be. Or it can be physical. You've got deformities, seizures, leprosy, cancer, blindness. That is all caused by spirits that are getting in there and they're twisting and distorting and making unclean what God had made. It's the opposite, holiness. That holiness is when everything is right in all aspects, even physically. And that is why back in the temple, because God's presence dwelt there, he's saying people with deformities could not go in there. It wasn't that God was against them, but... Where God's kingdom is and where his presence is. And this is the way it'll be in the eternal state. And this is the message that we have to preach. But we don't have to put it off till then. But everything will be the way it should be. There will be no deformities, no sickness, no curse in heaven. And that's what he came to restore. Satan, through his unclean spirit, always seeks to destroy man's image. Man made in God's image. In Mark's account, when you read that, the Father describes the working of the unclean spirit. And here's what this spirit, this unclean spirit, the kingdom of Satan, did to this boy. The Father says he takes him forcefully. 
tears him. He foams and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. That had to tear that father and mother up every single time they saw that happen. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine having to deal with that. Had to tear them up. The devil through that unclean spirit in doing all that, he's distorting, twisting, trying to destroy that little boy made in God's image. And when Jesus asked him, he says, well, how long has that spirit been in that boy? How long has he had it? The father says, of a child, just a little boy. And he says, oftentimes, many times, it's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him, to destroy him, just like the gathering. And that's what he seeks to do, isn't it? The devil, through his unclean spirits, we've heard this, to kill, steal, and destroy. And you know what? He wasn't just trying to destroy that little boy. I was telling Brett last night, he's trying to destroy that man's home, isn't he? Out to destroy a family that God had established. I read this biography on John Alexander Dowie, and he started off well he actually probably ended well, but God had to really deal with him because he got so big, so many miracles took place and all that, that he thought he was Elijah, went around saying that or whatever. And God brought him down low and I think he saved him in the end. But early on, he had a real heart and he was a humble man and went through a lot of persecution to give us, in a way, this truth of divine healing. But John Alexander Dowie said this, and I always liked this. He says, Satan is the defiler. That was a good way of putting it. But Jesus is the restorer. Satan the defiler, Jesus is the restorer. We're seeing that about this little boy. And the kingdom of God enters that man's life and that boy's life and everything changes. That's the gospel. And it didn't just change temporarily. It changed forever. Because here's what happened. When that spirit came in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power and manifested itself to the point to where the dad is like getting discouraged. All this is happening. If you can please help us, if you can do anything. And Jesus is like, I can do anything. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Oh, just I do believe, Lord, just help mine unbelief. I'm struggling because I'm sitting here thinking your disciples will be able to take care of this problem and they can't. And it doesn't look like you're doing anything at the moment. So help mine unbelief. And he did. And Jesus had him bring that boy to him and it said he rebuked the foul spirit, which is what it is, saying unto him, you dumb and deaf spirit. Jesus said, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. No more. And that little boy and his family would never be tormented again. Enter him no more. And the next thing it says is the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. It says it came out. And next we read, when he got convulsed and that spirit came out, so he's laying there, they thought he was dead. They're not going to die when the Lord Jesus comes and takes care of a problem for you, are you? <laughs> And it says he took him by the hand. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And Luke adds this. He gave him back to his father. He's the restorer. He gave him back. This is what happens when the kingdom of God, this is the sign that the kingdom of God had come, at least in that man's family. Because when the kingdom of God came, the man's house was restored and everything was made whole. 
And that's the promise of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, that God has come in our realm to this earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom is here and has invaded the kingdom of Satan in power. So we need to see the Satan sought to destroy the gathering. He sought to destroy that little boy and his father's family. And he is here to destroy you and me and our families. But the good news is that Jesus has appeared and the kingdom has come. He's trying to destroy us. But Jesus has come and his kingdom has come to destroy him. What does it say? 1 John 3, for this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we can count on that, can't we? That's his mission. He's still alive today to do the same thing. And that's the word of God. And the sign of casting out devils in the name of Jesus is here to confirm that. These signs shall follow them that believe to confirm the message that the kingdom of God is here and we don't have to live with demons destroying our lives. That's what it is. And listen, the ones that want to say, hey, well, that all was there. All those confirmations happened in the book of Acts in the early church that confirmed the word. We need the word confirmed just as much today, don't we? As any time, right? More than ever. But what's the key? What does it say, the key, when he asked them, they were like, hey, you know, you'd given us authority to cast out spirits, but we, that authority didn't work here with this guy. He says, well, this kind, though, this kind comes out by prayer and not just prayer. What does it come out to? That dirty word again. I saved it for the very end so y'all didn't shut me down too soon. <laughs> prayer and fasting. going to take a little bit of consecration, isn't it? A little bit of saying, hey, this deliverance for my child or this problem that I need to have solved, it means more to me than my food. So we were talking about this the other night. Look, we don't fast to twist God's arm. We're not saying because I'm fasting, you have to do that. That's not the way I fast. I mean, not that I'm the example. But when you fast, when you go through the Bible, you're saying, I'm fasting, God, because I need your help. If you don't help me, I am sunk please come and help me. And I'm just letting you know your help is everything. It's all I need right now. I need your presence, your power in this situation in my life, in this answer to prayer, whatever it is. And I'm willing to set aside whatever it takes, Lord, to see you come and enter this situation. And I'm saying he will. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and Turn from their wicked ways. There's that repentance message and that holiness message. He, God says, you do that. He says, then I will come and heal the land. I'll deliver your child. I'll do whatever it is you're needing me to do. And he will, won't he? Amen. Amen. Well, we'll look at more of this next week. Probably the rest of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth, bringing the kingdom of God and offering us deliverance from the kingdom of Satan and his oppression and his uncleanness and his distortion, Lord. And that you've come that we don't have to wait, that you can set things right in our lives now. And we thank you for that, Father. Just thank you for the revelation of your word. And this message of the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. 
I just ask you'll make that all real to us, Lord. Help us to think about it, not just make this a message, but that is what you have made available to us to confirm your word and to meet our needs. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you're a good God and that you love us and that you will make us holy. Amen. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.